Well, good evening. How's everyone doing? Yeah? Yeah? Good. Good. We're back for more. And so uh, we're going to dive right in because we want to make use of all the time. So welcome to part three of our Supernatural series. And as you guys know, we've been walking through a whole lot of excellent stuff. And it's in no way easy stuff, correct? But it's some powerful things to consider. And Pastor Lance has been walking us through that. And last week, he specifically focused us on four spheres of the Christian experience to kind of give us a framework to understand how, when, and where many of the components of the works of the Spirit and the supernatural appear and how they're carried out. And so he wanted us to help, um, he wanted us to understand what the playing field is like so that that will assist us in diagnosing what is God doing with us, what is God doing with the church, what is God doing all the way around. And so I'm going to talk really quickly through what some of those were just to kind of reframe things for us. The first thing he talked about was the normal Christian experience that all believers have, right? And so the first thing he was talking about is what all of us share as followers of Jesus Christ, that we all are indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit, that everybody has this what he would say is a normal level of Holy Spirit ministry where we're experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, the illumination of the Spirit in order to understand the Word, connection with God as adoption, as sons and daughters. Um, he talked about the spiritual powers and the access that all of us have in that first piece. And he talked about how do we grow in the supernatural life that we are given as all of us together. Right? And he talked about us being able to draw near to him, to us have, um, to empty ourselves more and have less of us and more of him, to be tracking and joining with what the Holy Spirit is doing and learning and honing in on what we've been given. Then the second category he talked about was the unique human design that each of us have, that each of us has specific personality and individuality that we all have that's distinct and unique compared to everyone else. And God has made every single person different physically, emotionally, relationally, environmentally, in the contexts that we grew up in, and spiritually. And so because of that, every person experiences the work of the Spirit in a little bit of a different way because we're all crafted differently. Thirdly, he talked about spiritual gifts, which we're going to be starting to highlight more over these next two weeks, which is defining what the gifts are, and he went through the lists and what the scriptures say about them, what these are for, and are they all still for today? He answered that question or talked through that. He talked about how do you get the spiritual gifts? Are they unlimited? How do you use it rightly? And he talked about the responsibility and the training in these, right? So we covered a lot. That's just three of the categories. The fourth, he went and returned back to something he raised the first week, which was about anointing. How do we understand anointing as the empowerment or the purpose of God's presence in someone or in something even? And he talked about it doesn't have as much to do with the maturity or the godliness of a person. It has to do with God's purpose. And he talked through the examples of Saul and Samson and Aaron, the high priest. And he gave us some cautions on what, what not to do with how we approach the concept of anointing. Um, he talked about not um, just seeing somebody with anointing and saying we should put them in leadership, right? Of not um, looking at someone's anointing and say we have to duplicate the lifestyle or a certain method or a practice of a person. And so he covered all those again to give us this framework. And, and the two pieces, though, he wanted us to really catch out of all of that is that whether or not you have a spiritual gift, a specific one, the presence of the Holy Spirit means that God's kids get to work 
in most every area of the supernatural to some degree or form, including healing, which is what we're going to be focusing on and talking about tonight. And he also emphasized that we are never, ever to separate the gifts from the giver, right? Because that's one of the biggest mistakes, one of the biggest um, kind of um, stumbling blocks that it can be, because we are called to be stewards of what the Spirit, what our Father, um, through Jesus Christ, has given us. And that's why the parable of the talents is such a key parable in understanding that, that we are stewards of what God has entrusted to us, and that's all done through the relationship of love, the way we encounter our love with our Father and the way we encounter loving relationships with others. That's always supposed to dictate and be the foundation of how supernatural gifts are used. Now, one other instructional piece, and then we're going to bring Pastor Lance out here. But um, this teaching is going to end kind of spot on at an hour and a half, so roughly right at 8 o'clock. And, and then he's going to kind of kind of finish up, and that's going to be a time for us to kind of thank him. And so when he finishes up formally and kind of thanks you for being here, that's a time that you can, you can kind of clap and thank him. But then after that's done, that's when we're going to stop our video, and then we're actually going to go into an additional 30 minutes of practice of him showing us what does healing prayer look like. Because for some of us, we haven't done that. And so one of the things we're going to be doing with that is kind of staying in the room, but we'll, we'll have finished the teaching, and we're going to have um, a few of you come up, and, and Pastor Lance is going to pray. Now, you're going to go, how are we going to do that in 30 minutes? We can't have everybody that has a prayer need come up in that time. But what we're going to do is that I'm going to be sitting kind of right over here on this side. And, uh, and if you have some kind of physical or emotional um, um, dilemma or, or thing going on in your life, and, and you really feel like, uh, you know, tonight is a time that, that God... Um, you know, wants to, to I, want, I don't want to say use you as an example, right? Because that's not what we're doing here, but where God wants to get the chance to, um, to work in, in talking, addressing that healing. Um, come and talk to me because I, I, I want to kind of pick a few people to come up and, uh, and get that chance for Lance to pray over, pray over you, and we'll kind of go from there. And so, uh, so come and find me. I mean, there may be a hundred of you that come and ask me, and I have to narrow it down to just how many we can get in 30 minutes. But be reminded that in November, we have our worship, prayer, and healing night coming up. And so with that coming up, um, that's a time for us to keep looking in anticipation of what God's doing. So with no further ado, I would like to welcome Pastor Lance on to the stage. Well, hello, everyone. Good to see you. All right, well, let's dive right into this. We begin on the heels of our last teaching on anointing, and we're going to take it one step further into the concept of impartation, uh, because it goes hand in hand with our greater topic of healing that we're going to be going through uh, today. So I want to dive right into it. If you are a note taker, now's the time to grab your pen or your laptop, whatever you have. Uh, because once again, it's going to be drinking from a fire hose, all right? Here we go. Impartation means given to, transferred through, etc., one person transferring their anointing or a gift to another person through prayer or the laying on of hands. Now, is that a real thing? Now, at, at the 
first get-go, you'd probably say, well, man, that sounds super weird. Can I, you know, somebody's going to walk up and go, hey, I have the gift of healing. Here you go. And they hand it to you in a box or something like that. Uh, that, that is not exactly what I'm talking about. We're going to dive into it a little bit more here. Uh, but what you're going to find out is the concept of transference from one person spiritually to another is actually a concept you all probably work with way more commonly than you think you do. So we'll get into that. But I want to be very clear on something. I'm going to mention it a couple different times in our teaching time. And that is, at Bridgeway, we are very clear that any supernatural power comes from the Lord. Uh, it's, if it comes from any other source, right? If it comes from the demonic or if it comes from anything else, we're in no-go land, Right? The only thing we're interested in is the power of the Holy Spirit and what God gives to us. And so when we talk about transference from one person to the other, that would still have to be a God thing. God would have to give his power and then take his power and hand it to somebody else, but it's still his power. Are we all clear on that? What we are not talking about is some inherent power you had without God, and you're trying to hand it off to somebody else. That is not good. That usually steps into a pretty uh, messed up realm, if I can say that. That's the nicest way I can say it. But here we go. Let's jump right into it. The Bible speaks of impartation quite a bit, uh, but primarily in three areas. Number one, the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands. Number two, impartation of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. The impartation of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. And number three, transfer of ministry anointing. Transfer of ministry anointing. You're probably very familiar with the first one. You've heard about the second one. You're probably not super familiar with the third one. So let's, let's jump in and see what I'm talking about. Laying on of hands, that is pretty common to a lot of you, yes? Have you ever had someone lay hands on you? Or they say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. Can I lay my hands on you? This, they're actually talking about impartation. Now, that's not how you think about it, but that's really what it is. Let me give you a couple examples about laying on of hands. First of all, laying on of hands has to do with commissioning. So it's not only for healing, it's also for commissioning. For example, we bring up new pastors here at Bridgeway. We have them come up on stage. We ask you to extend your hands. We have people up here that are leadership. And what are they all doing? Laying their hands on the leader, and we are praying that they would be commissioned. Where did we get that idea? That's actually an impartation concept. Where did we get it from? Well, let me give you a couple examples. Acts 6, 5 through 6. Acts 6, 5 through 6. If you remember, the apostles said, you know what? We're slammed with stuff to do. We need to focus on the word and prayer. So they grabbed a bunch of guys, seven of them, that were full of the Holy Spirit. And it says this. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Here's the key, verse 6. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. All right, there we go. We have the laying on of hands for commissioning. As a matter of fact, that's not the first time. We also commission missionaries, Acts 13, 1 through 4. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, for example, you'll notice that prayer and laying out of hands was separated there. After praying, they then laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down and sailed to Cyprus. All right. Once again, 1 Timothy 5.22, Timothy is warned, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. I do not believe in that context it's referring to healing at all. I believe it's saying don't quickly grab people and shove them into leadership. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands of commissioning people. Why? You need to test their character. Make sure they're solid and good and right. Then you bring them into leadership, all right? And then Matthew 19, 14 through 15, we're very familiar with this, with baby dedications, right? Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. In other words, he gathered them up on his lap. He laid his hands on them. Why? As an impartation of blessing. You'll notice that even in the Old Testament, when it, a father would give a blessing over his children, do you remember when he would lay their, his hands on their heads? And one time he crisscrossed, if you remember that, over one son versus another. The idea of laying on of hands to bring about blessing. That is why we do baby dedications the way that we do that, where we reach out and we touch the baby or we hold the baby. But of course, it's also about healing. Mark 6, 5, it says, and Jesus could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. But then we see the power in Luke 4, 40. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. All right, so right off the bat, we know that impartation is used all over the place in Scripture. It's for the commissioning of leaders and the sending them off. It's for the blessing. It's for healing. But whatever you have of laying on of hands is actually an impartation concept, a transference that, God, you have anointed and blessed me in such a beautiful way. I want to take all from the storehouse you've given me, and as a conduit of yours, I would like to push that blessing forward into somebody else. It's a sharing concept. It's a kindness concept. But the second main way is the impartation of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts, right? Y'all have read the book of Acts? All right, it's all over the place and it's super complicated, so let me help sort it out real quick. 1 Timothy 4, 14 through 15. Let's talk about spiritual gifts. Do not neglect the gift you have, Timothy, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy received some type of gift. Was it the gift to become a pastor? Was it the gift of preaching and teaching? Was it some other gift that we have no idea about? All we know is that when the elders or the leadership, they prophesied, they laid their hands upon him, and he received something he did not have before. That is a spiritual gift. Again, Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. For this reason, Paul says, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
That means something else he got, and that time it was from Paul himself personally that he allowed a gift to be imparted to him by the laying on of his hands. Now, that sounds pretty awesome. Uh, Is it always one of the ones listed? Notice here, he said, fan it into flame. Even though you got it, you still got to work with it. You still got to get it increased. You don't just get it and everything's cool. You got to grow up with it. You got to figure it out. All right. Well, it's not only one of the ones listed, right? Here's how Paul talks about it in Romans 1, 11 and 12. For I long to see you, he's speaking to the church in Rome, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. What did he want to do? Man, I can't wait to come see y'all, right? If I can come see you, I know that God has overblessed me, and I would love to just share that and minister to you. I would love to impart to you some spiritual gift. All right, so as far as giving of spiritual gifts and awakening things up in people, that's one thing. But in the book of Acts, what we saw was that God chose, at least in that season, we can all argue whether or not he still operates that way or doesn't operate that way. I don't really want to get into that. We're going to talk about biblical evidence right now. That in the book of Acts, he chose to impart or give the Holy Spirit many times through the laying on of hands. Not always, but sometimes. Give an example. Acts 8, 14 through 19. Now, when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria, or the Samaritans, had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. You go, well, maybe they're just saying that, like they laid their hands on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was really, it was really a prayer thing. No, hold on. Look at verse 18. Now, when Simon the sorcerer saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's super clear. The Samaritans received the Holy Spirit only through the laying on of hands from the apostles. We're going to talk in a moment about why that may be. All we need to know for now is that it is. Okay, laying on of hands for commissioning, blessing, right? Those types of things, sending people off, healing. Then there's also the impartation of gifts and the ultimate gift, which is the Holy Spirit. But there's another way, and this is probably the one you're least familiar with, that is the transfer of ministry anointing. Once again, we can all argue whether or not that is something that the Holy Spirit does today, but in the biblical record, there are a number of different incidences where God takes the Holy Spirit's ministry or anointing on one person and lifts it up and hands it to someone else, either incomplete like he did with what? Saul to King David. Y'all remember that? The Holy Spirit pulled off of Saul, moved over, landed on David. That was actually a complete. But more often than not, it may be a portion. 
Let me cite a couple examples for you. 2 Kings 2, 9 through 12 and 15. 2 Kings 2, 9 through 12 and 15. Here we go. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Y'all remember this? I mean, that's kind of a crazy thing to say. Obviously, he saw that the Holy Spirit was moving so powerfully. There was so much anointing on Elijah that he's going, hey, how you're rolling with God? I want double that. That's a pretty crazy thing to ask for, yeah? And Elijah said, you have asked for a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you, but if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Here's what it means. Hey, Elisha, dude, that's really hardcore. I'm not sure I can do that. However, I'm going to put in a transfer request to the boss. <laughs> I'm going to fill out the form work. I'm going to sign it, but I got to really send it upstairs. Now, they're going to review your case, and if they decide, then you're going to hear a chunk and they're going to stamp it. And we're all good. But I'm not sure I have that much money in my account. So we'll see. All right? We all follow him? All right, let's keep reading. Verse 11. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Ah, what was the requirement? If you see me go up, the boss signed the papers. Yeah? So what does it say? Verse 15, now when the sons of the prophets, that's all the other guys that were waiting and watching from a distance. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. All right, so that's a little bit longer of an explanation, but you now have the anointing of one being transferred or imparted to another. Now, this is a beautiful example about it's all God, yeah? God's like, all right, I only do whatever I want to do. So if I'm not imparting anything, I'm not imparting anything. But here's what I'm going to do. All right, I heard your request. That's cool. I'm good with it. So I will do the transfer. God does the transfer. We basically make the request, all right? Does that make sense? Okay, and you go, well, maybe that was just a random one-off. Well, it wasn't. Numbers 11, 16 through 17, 24 through 30. The Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Verse 24. 
So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people, placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, spoke to him, took some of the spirit that was on him, put it on the 70 elders, and as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men, two of the elders, there were only 68 present, two of them didn't show for the meeting. Now, you got to assume that was a pretty important meeting. I don't know what else you had to do that day. But they didn't show up to the meeting. I don't know if they were angry about it or what have you, but they didn't show. Did it matter? No. Watch this. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. Maybe they stayed because they have stupid names. I don't know. It's a possibility. (laughs) And the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they hadn't gone out to the tent They prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, Moses' aide, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, my Lord, Moses, stop them. Meaning they shouldn't get anything good. They didn't show up to the meeting. But Moses said, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Well, maybe that's just two examples, right? Numbers 27, 18 through 23. Numbers 27, 18 through 23. I'm not going to read it for you. I'm going to paraphrase it. Here's how it goes. Hey, Moses, you're going to die. Joshua is going to take over for you. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go in front of everybody. I need you to lay your hands on him, and I will take the spirit that is on you. I will move it over and transfer it, and everyone will know that you're the dog in charge now. And it goes on like that. So, once again, Three different ways that impartation is used. One, of course, is in the laying on of hands. One is in the impartation or the stirring up, or the giving of spiritual gifts, and even the greatest gift himself, the Holy Spirit. And the third one is a transference of ministry anointing. You're going to say, well, all right, why why would God do it that way? It seems weird. God, if you just want someone to do something, just do it. I don't know why you got to wait till we hang out together. I'm going to give you my best guess. I think there's a number of reasons why he did it this way. I think there is one reason that overshadows them all. Y'all ready for this? Unity. Unity. We are very, very independent. Wanting to be all by ourselves, have everything that we have on our own. We don't want to get next to anybody. We don't want to need anything. So what God does is he orchestrates the body of Christ that we all need each other. And so what you'll notice is that he demanded that the Holy Spirit didn't fall on the Samaritans until the Jews came and hung out with them. Remember, the Jews don't like the Samaritans. If you remember, the Gentiles didn't get the Holy Spirit until the Jews came and hung out with them. Why? Because if it would have erupted in the Samaritans by themselves, they would have remained separate. If it would have erupted in the Gentiles, they would have remained separate. God demanded that they all come together to have the blessings of God. There's a huge blessing to the unity of the body of Christ. Why does impartation seem to be an issue? Because division is such a problem. I would suggest to you that even the idea of touching one another and being close enough in proximity that for me to pray for you for healing, I want to lay my hands on you, means that you can't just do it 
always through the TV. Y'all following me? All right, all right. Okay, a couple other interesting things, just as a side note, this is a little bit more for your enjoyment and fun. It certainly was for me. There is also what I have now named, and if you ever hear me say some weird, dumb name, I made it up. Here we go. Emanation impartation. Emanation impartation. Y'all ready for this? Emanation impartation. Luke 6, 17 through 19. And Jesus came down with his disciples and stood at a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people, verse 18, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. That's awesome. That means he's just hanging with them, and it's just radiating. That's impartation, emanation, emanation emanating out of his body. People were literally getting healed in his vicinity because they were near him and power was coming off of him. Now, you're like, ah, I don't know if that's really how it went. Mark 5, 24 through 30. Mark 5, 24 through 30, right? This is one you're all familiar with. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. Why does she think that? Because she knows the emanation impartation. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease and Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Whoa, what? Who touched my clothes? She didn't even get to his skin, right? Because when you lay on of hands, that's supposed to wear gloves, right? They're like, dude, I can't feel anything. Take off your, go. oh, okay. What is this deal about impartation of stuff? Is it real? I mean, because here's the deal. Let's be honest. Um, I make fun of, uh, maybe you don't, but I do. Uh, I make fun of uh, bogus people that try to sell bogus things, right? And so to me, that's a frustration. So for example, when I was in Uganda, uh, I found out that one guy was trying to sell holy, uh, holy rice, anointed rice. And so people would, and then it would do special cool things. Well, and they're like, well, there's a, in a shower curtain and it has anointing and stuff like that. Okay. So normally that stuff agitates my spirit, right? And I should be more respectful than I am. And I'm not. So, <laughs> but here's what's interesting. Is the idea that an item can carry an anointing, is that legit? Now, what's interesting is I'd only had bad experiences with it, right? Where people that were trying to do bad stuff. And then one time I went to a conference. It's the weirdest thing. There were speakers going up and it was, don't get me wrong, it was a supernatural type of conference. And but the speakers were just talking about Jesus and everything, and nobody even said anything. So in between, they were going to have someone come up, and he was going to speak a little bit more on healing. So I started watching everyone at the conference, not everyone, but a bunch of people in the conference. They were coming up, and they were putting items on the stage. And I was like, what is that? 
what is that? Like, was it like a towel? Is that like a shirt? Is that like a sweatshirt? Or what in the world is it? And they're putting this stuff on, and it made a little pile. And I was like, uh, don't know what we're doing. And then, before the gentleman came out to speak, a young lady came out and started gathering them together. And I thought, it's a ministry of laundry. <laughs> this is so sweet. <laughs> like, while you're studying... They're going to the dry cleaner. They'll bring it back for you brand new. So I was like, well, this is very sweet. I never even thought of that idea. So she scooped it together and put it in a little bag and then carried it off. Nobody even said anything about it. And I'm like, uh, how does everybody know about this? Like, this is weird. They carry it off. The guy comes on and does his speaking. Never even mentions it. Goes on and does his whole speaking and we move on with the conference. And I went, oh my gosh, you know what they're doing? They were asking for those things to be prayed over and anointed so they could take them back to the sick people who couldn't make it there. And I was like, whoa, that's the first time I ever saw it done healthy, right? Because normally there was no sales pitch, there was no creepiness, there was no, it wasn't even mentioned. It was like, hey, my person can't get here. There was one time, as a matter of fact, and you'll laugh at this until I tell you my testimony, um, that uh, it was the idea that we we're all going to pray for somebody, and, and one of the speakers that was there said, if you have somebody, you get them on the cell phone and hold it up so they can hear, they can hear our prayers, And because that person was far away, or they were in a hospital room or whatever, and so they held up their phone. All right. Now, you may look at all that stuff and go, man, all that stuff's bogus. Well, where did they get the idea? actually got it from scripture. Did you know that? Here we go. Let's dive into this. 2 Kings 4, 25 through 31. 2 Kings 4, 25 through 31. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. This woman, uh, a Shunammite woman, she was uh, buddies with Elisha the prophet. Elisha the prophet had a right-hand man, a servant by the name of Gehazi. He kind of did all his running work. Elisha was probably getting a little bit more up in age, but certainly he knew that he only had a limited amount of time. Well, he had prayed over this woman, and she had a miraculous child. Well, that child began to die. So she came to him, and she fell at his feet and said, I never even asked you for this kid. Now my child's dying. You got to do something. And he's like, all right, well, how about you go? She's like, I'm not going until you go. You have to do this. Well, he grabs his staff and says, Gehazi, take my staff and go run, because you're faster than me, and go lay it on the child's face. Okay, which is kind of odd. If you don't believe in the impartation onto stuff, why would he do that? Well, clearly he did. So Gehazi runs, puts it on the child's face, nothing happens. He runs back to Elisha, and you go, well, see, nothing happened. Why were they doing it? Because it obviously worked in the past. So why did they come up with the idea? And he's like, hey, no go, man. The child's dead. And he's like, all right. So he goes himself and ends up restoring the child back to life. But here's my point. Your staff? That's weird. Is that the only time? Nope. Mark, seven, Mark 14, 34 through 36 Mark four, Matthew 14, 34 through 36. Matthew 14, 34 through 36. Also in Mark 6, 53 through 56, what we had just said. It was Jesus' garments that were anointed, not just his skin. 
not just him. As a matter of fact, in Acts 5, 12 through 16, it says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done by the, among the people by the hands of the apostles, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets, laid them on cots and mats, so that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Even his shadow was anointed. That's crazy. I'm sure that's the only one. Nope. Acts 19, 11 through 12. Acts 19, 11 through 12. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their disease left them and the evil spirits were cast out. Where'd they get the idea? The Bible. Whoa. Aprons, handkerchiefs, touched the skin of the anointed went out and God carried out the same miracles. All right, so here's all I'm trying to do through this is uh, we're about to walk into a time of healing teaching, and we're going to be talking a lot about different things like laying on of hands and stuff like that and praying over people. I just need you to understand in the back of your mind that these are actually impartation concepts, right? So you may not have heard about impartation, but now don't you, th don't you realize you know a lot more about it than you thought you did? As a matter of fact, a lot of you knew all those stories. I mean, I'm rattling them off and you're like, yep, knew that one, knew that one, knew that one. Have you ever put the pieces together? Probably not. That's why we're doing this type of teaching. Let's dive into healing. I need to give you a disclaimer about healing because it's something that I'm very, very passionate about. A couple things about it. Number one, I'm still learning. I'm very relatively new to all this, meaning within a decade or so, I've done all my research. I'm really only going to be coming to you from two areas. One of them is I know the Bible. I'm an expert on the Bible. So I'm going to be teaching you out of the Bible, and anything else I'll be teaching you out of either my expertise, my research, or my personal experience. But I need you to understand that any conversations that happen outside of Scripture, where we start talking about experiences and stuff like that, I need you to weigh very carefully, right? I do not have the corner market of understanding about this. I do not run a healing ministry. As a matter of fact, I have prayed for the gift of healing for years and years and years. And although I've seen many, many healings through both my hands and my words and the ministry that I do, although I've seen many, many healings, I do not yet believe that God has given me the gift. Remember, that's a, an extra uh, empowerment. I don't believe that I have yet have the gift of healing. So there are people that run whole healing ministries and they know light years more experience than I do. I'm not trying to tell you that just because I disagree with them or I say it this way that I'm always right. I'm just giving you what I have. We need to walk into these with humility, do we not? All right, so we're going to start with the Bible and we will move from there. So most everything I'm going to share with you is that. All right, so here's some stuff I'm pretty sure about, okay? That's the Bible stuff. Psalm 103, 2 through 3, God heals, not people. God heals, not people. Now, people heal on God's behalf. God empowers people to heal. We are sons and daughters that I believe have the authority to heal. We can command to heal. But once again, let us always be clear, God heals, not people. The minute that is divorced and we start looking too much at the person and not at God, we lost the game, right? 
You never separate the gift from the giver. We definitely have to be focused on the Lord. He is the giver of all good things, all right? In Exodus 15, 25 through 26, he said, I am Yahweh, your healer. So, by a name definition, God said, I'm the healer. If any healing is coming from a good source, it's always me. All right, praise the Lord. That's good. All right, healing is biblical. Can we all agree on that? Healing is biblical. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament has a ton of healing. Here we go. There are seven womb healings. The number one most common miraculous healing in the Old Testament is women who were infertile. That was a huge issue in all of the patriarchs' lives, it seems to be. So there were seven womb healings. Miriam was healed of leprosy. The bronze serpent story we'll talk about later. Jeroboam's shriveled hand was healed. Elijah raised a boy back to life. So did Elisha. Naaman's leprosy was healed. Hezekiah had a healing where the sun went backwards, if you remember that whole story. So, there's lots of healing in the Old Testament, but I need you to understand that you need to be careful when you're understanding Old Testament and New Testament that one was under the Old Covenant and one was under the New Covenant. They're slightly different in how God operates. In the old covenant, God allowed himself to be hindered a lot more by what people do versus he said, I'm not going to do it if you're not going to do it. In other words, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wickedness, then I will heal their land. In other words, I'm going to put it back on you. Are you guys going to roll with me or not? We got a covenant. We got a contract. It's blessings and cursings. You roll with me, I do cool stuff. You don't roll with me, I don't do cool stuff. So when you're studying the Old Testament healings, you just need to be aware it was a different contract. When Jesus came, he inaugurated what he called the new covenant. And so there's a new operation of an indwelling Holy Spirit as opposed to in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on people and leave. It's why King David said, please don't take thy Holy Spirit from me. Because the Holy Spirit did not indwell, the Holy Spirit rested upon only. We all following? So in other words, although they're useful, we just need to be careful in context. Old Testament, New Testament. All right, well, let's talk about the New Testament. Well, the New Testament is filled with healing. It was a massive part of Jesus' ministry. Matthew 4, 23 through 25. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people, so that his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. In other words... Healing's a big deal to Jesus. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about Jesus' healings because he is where we're always going to begin. Uh, I went through and systematically examined all of Jesus' ministry in the Bible, and here's what I found out. There are 21 that I could count, individual healings that Jesus did that are recorded. There are at least six totally different methods that he used to heal. All the rest are hybrids or combinations even the bizarre stuff was done. Can we all agree? Yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. 
Here are the six ways that Jesus healed. Number one, he touched people. Number two, people touched his clothes. In other words, it was accidental for him. He didn't even know he was getting touched until he got touched. Number three, he healed with a thought command. A thought command. He didn't say anything. He just said, oh, we're done. All right. Number four, a vocal command. A vocal command where he would call it out and it would become so. Like he did that a lot when he raised the dead, right? Because if you wait for like feedback from a dead person, it's totally boring. So he just called it out. Or I heard. Anyway, number five, he required acts of faith. Acts of faith. Like for example, there was a shriveled man. He didn't even do anything. He said, you reach out your hand and boom, all of a sudden it became strong. So in other words, he didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to think anything. He just said, you do this and it will happen. So that's what I mean. And then number six, he cast demons who cause disease. He cast demons who cause disease. So in other words, there were six different ways that he would do healing and he would mix them all up. And I think he was doing it on purpose to blow our idea of a formula. The minute we get into a formula, it becomes much more like magic than it does a relationship with Jesus Christ, all right? So that's what we have to be careful about. Give an example of demons that cause disease. There was the deaf, mute, epileptic boy. There was a mute demon in Luke. There was a woman disabled and unable to stand up for 18 years. That was called a disabling spirit and that she was bound by Satan and it goes on and on and on. In other words, sometimes you can't cleanly divide out the demonic from the disease. Sometimes they're, they're united together. So the best way to heal that person is to cast out the demon, then the healing occurs. All right. All except I think I'm going to give them one. All but one Jesus commanded and did not petition. He commanded the healing. All 21 he commanded, did not petition. He didn't ask his father. The father had already told him, here's what I want you to do, and he just went out and did it. Okay, the only one that I'm going to hand over to a possibility is the raising of Lazarus. And the only reason I say that is because it says, and Jesus breathed deeply in his spirit, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I'm not saying this because my own benefit. I'm just saying it for the people around me. Closes that up and says what? Lazarus, get out here. So once again, it goes back into a commanding mode. So anyway, there are four mass healings of Jesus where it says he healed them all. That's like, we can't even name them all. There's so many going on and everybody got healed. And there's so much more. Why? Two times in the gospels it says, and Jesus did many more things than this that are not recorded. So I'm telling you there's 21 recorded healings. How many more did he do? And that's not counting the mass healings. So what more did he do? We have no idea. But it was a lot. Jesus did a lot of healings. All right, so was he the only one that healed in the New Testament? No, he was not. As a matter of fact, the 12 apostles were able to heal as well. Luke 9, 1 through 6. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Verse 6, and they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So it was a normal part of their job. Acts 5.12, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Regular ministry equals healing. 
signs and wonders. All right? Outside of Jesus Christ, there are 21 direct references to healing. Once again, there were 21 for Jesus. There are 21 outside of Jesus. There are five direct references to the apostles as a group doing healing and doing miracles, meaning it doesn't tell you who did it. It just says the apostles did this. There are three unique healings by Peter. There are seven unique healings by Paul. And there are six non-apostolic healings, people that were not apostles that got to do healings. So, who are the six non-apostles? Philip the evangelist, the 72 that were sent out by Jesus, Ananias, Barnabas, church groups, so it says the Galatian church has healing, so somebody was doing it there and they're not apostles. Same thing with the Corinthian church. And the elders of the church. If you're sick, go to the elders of the church and they will pray and the sick person will be made well. All right, so you have healings from at least six people or groups that are not apostles. The apostles did it. Paul did it. Non-apostles did it. Okay? Now, here's the thing. Very intriguing passage, Mark 16, 14 through 20. I'm going to read it to you. Mark 16, 14 through 20. Very controversial passage. You ready? It says, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven, verse 15, and he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Sounds like the Great Commission, does it not? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We know all that. Okay, we got it. But this is where it turns weird, verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the messages by accompanying signs. Here's why that's so controversial. If you'll notice in your Bibles, it should have little brackets around it and says, earliest manuscripts do not include, and it has that portion. That means if we're going to grab fragments and we're going to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the ones that we believe are the oldest that story disappears. And they're like, so it was probably not inspired. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not here to debate that. Here's what I'm here to explain to you. Let's say it's an addition, meaning somebody in the early church added it in there. Why? Because the additions are usually put in there to explain something, to help you, the reader, understand what was going on. So whether it's inspired or not, the earliest writers added it in there and said, just so you know, this stuff was going on all over the place. None of that is brand new material. It's all duplicated somewhere else in Scripture, so it's not like it's completely bogus. But all in one area, just know it was a normal part of their ministry. All right, here we go. Now, how did they heal? Let's talk about methods. If we're going to talk about all the apostles and the... Apostle Paul and the non-apostles, what methods did they use? Well, number one, commanding prayers. Number two, laying on of hands. Number three, healing in the name of Jesus. Number four, emanation, impartation of stuff. And number five, anointing with oil. Anointing with oil. All right. Now, having said all that, we got a lot of this richness of Bible stuff. Let's now take it into a more modern context. Does 
God still heal through people today? Uh, I'm going to argue, and I'm very firm in this view, that yes, he does. We can all debate different individual things, but I believe that he does for certain. Last time I taught the Supernatural series was in 2014. When I taught that to you, I named 15 healings of the 150 that we had seen at Bridgeway. I named 15, and I named the 15 of the people that were in the room at the time. Well, that was back in 2014. Has God still been moving since then? The answer to that is yes. So let me just share a few testimonies with you. Uh, Receive this testimony as of June 18th of this year. These initial testimonies were from a very special place in my heart. Do you all know that we do a community closet on Thursdays where we're able to help people with clothing and food and with counseling? And usually it's people that are struggling a little bit in life that get a chance to go there and receive something they don't normally have. Now, in other words, those are Jesus's people. Y'all following me? If you're struggling, Jesus is right there with you. The other thing is, is that they don't have all the freedoms that we have, especially with insurance and stuff like that. They don't have the money. So you would assume that if God's going to show up, he's going to show up there. So our team assembled together a little list. And they said, hey, Pastor Lance, I just want you to know that we pray for people every time on Thursdays. Here's a real quick list of what's been going on. Y'all ready? This is cool. Number one, a woman's low back pain, gone. Number two, a woman's arthritic pain in her thumb, gone. Number three, a woman with a swollen and sprained finger, pain gone. Number four, a woman using a walker with swollen knees. After a lot of tingling in her knees, the pain left. Number five, on 6-1, a woman had a pressure sock, as they would call it, on her left arm and hand. She had gone through a mastectomy from breast cancer, and 16 lymph nodes were taken out. 15 of them were cancerous. Without the lymph nodes, there's no place for fluid to go, so the doctor told her that she would have to wear this on her arm for at least 10 years. Now, they probably get a little bit nasty, so the cost to replace them is $300 a piece. That's not awesome. She had tightness under her arm from her swelling. She was told by her surgeon that she would never be able to lift her hand or arm above shoulder height. After prayer, her tightness under her arm was gone. She was pain-free and able to raise her arm to fully extend it above her head and gave glory to God. She shared her story with several people as she went through the line and the person who took her to her car. She was seen driving away with her arm fully extended up and out the window, waving as she drove off. (laughs) Today on 615, the lady came in with a cane. Both her hips were hurting and had been for some time for years. After prayer, she had no pain whatsoever and was praising God as she walked up carrying the cane to get her food. Praise God. And there was another woman who had been watching the prayer going on. She too had pain in one or both hips, I cannot remember. God healed her and she was telling everyone who would listen as she went through the line and out the door that she had just been healed. Recently in the last worship prayer and healing night... I personally got a chance to pray for a number of people. Uh, I grabbed four of them to just let you know some testimonies. Little girl Cadence was five years old. She had a damaged esophagus and a vomit reflex, and she vomited six times a day. There was not one meal that she would not vomit afterwards. And so her mama brought her to get prayed for there was an instant difference the next day. Gradually, it just began to go away. Then it was almost gone, and now it's completely gone. Praise God. A woman had just finished with chemo, and the doctors didn't know if it was gone. And so we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and got back the testimony that she is cancer-free. 
Praise God. That's awesome. You guys, I've shared with you before Jeff Day's testimony. After eight years of significant back pain and multiple procedures, unable to lift more than 20 pounds, chronic and severe pain every day, crippling at times, eight to 10 level pain. After much prayer with the other teams, Jeff arrived to us with a level five pain, left at a level three pain, and I was like, hmm, all right. Follow-up report, two days later, reported two days full, pain-free, completely healed, able to bench press 135 pounds at the physical therapist's office. All lumps were gone in his muscles, pure and full healing. Thank you, Lord. I checked in on December 11th, and he was fully healed and doing great. Amen. Praise God. A sweet woman here, her husband, who was 81, could not come to the evening. She came as proxy, said, would we pray for her husband? Um, he was just diagnosed with stage four cancer through his ribs and back and through his body. He refused to do any treatment. I received the Facebook message on December 14th. Pastor Lance, well, Jesus did it again. I took him to the doctors today, and he doesn't have any cancer. They've done all the tests and retested, and it's not there. He says he knows that the Lord has healed him, so I want to let you know, and the rest of our pastors know the good news. Praise the Lord. Thank you again for all your prayers. Amen. So does it only happen on worship, prayer, and healing nights? Does it only happen through the community closet? Well, it certainly doesn't. It was just a couple of weeks ago here in our services, had a sweet lady uh, come up, and she had tremendous, she had surgery on her shoulder, she had a bunch of tightness, she had a bunch of uh, scarring from where they had cut into it and did some arthritis surgery, and she could never lift her arm very much, and, and she couldn't uh, hold her head up, and she was so sad. And my heart went out to her, and we just prayed for a little while. And uh, as she left, she said, I just feel warm and tingly all over. She said, I just, and she was so thankful. She's like, man, I, I feel really awesome. But once again, I didn't ask, well, do you have no pain, right? So I didn't know how it was going to go. Next morning, here we go. This was on the city. I just want to thank you for staying with my family and I after church to pray for me, Pastor. God fixed my neck. No pain. Glory to God. God is good. Pastor, I never felt our precious Lord work in me like that. I felt the instant heat in my neck as you prayed. I felt as if everything just washed away with my tears. I left today feeling incredibly light and glowing. I've been moving my neck without pain since. You asked our Lord to lubricate my neck and restore it, to fix it like when I was born. You asked for my knots and nerves to be loosened, restored, and healed. Pastor, I'm able to lift my head off my pillow tonight feeling nothing. I can turn my head. I can look at my husband sitting next to me. I'm overjoyed and in awe of his gracious healing power. Our God is a God of miracles, healing, compassion, and so much more. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. So after we dialogued, I wanted to find out a few days later if it had returned, right? Because you always want to know how that works. She said, thank you for asking, Pastor. Amen. I can still move freely. I keep turning my head. I'm feeling great today. There's some tightness between my shoulder blades but it doesn't interfere with movement. I noticed I was able to get up in the middle of the night with ease. Laying back down, I found myself compensating for pain out of habit and quickly realizing it wasn't there. I laughed and said, of course it's not there. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> uh, healing happens today. I believe it is our job. I believe that we represent the kingdom. And so I would like in our remaining time for me to make that very clear to you while at the same time I'm going to balance two different things, y'all. Why would God heal? And how come he doesn't sometimes? Is that not the heartbreaking piece? Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm sure that you've prayed for stuff and God said no. Yep. That's really hard. 
What do we do with that? Why would he not heal? Because I can sit here and just tell you all these testimonies and go on and on and on, but, but many, many times I've prayed and God did not heal. What do you do there? Does it mean he doesn't love us? That's what it cannot mean. So let's move forward. Here's the theological foundation, in my opinion, for the basis for healing. But I think that we need to begin a place that's a bit more familiar to all of us, because if I go straight into theology, I'm probably going to make you all fall asleep. So I don't want to do that. So let me jump right in feet first. Does everyone get healed? Does God want everyone to get healed? Because that is a very critical question. It's a watershed question. Because if God wants everyone to be healed, we're going to walk into the prayer in one way. If God does not want everyone to be healed, we're going to walk into prayer in a different way. Can we all agree on that? So once again, I want to be very careful here. I'm not interested in telling you what to do or what to believe, but I'm going to present out to you those two sides because there's brilliant people on both sides. There's biblical evidence on both sides. So I'm not here to diminish one or the other. I will lean towards one and I will carry on the rest of our time going down one route. But I need you to know that there are very powerful arguments on both sides. So here we go. The two views are, yes, God wants everyone healed, and the other view is, yes, he wants them healed, but no, they are not healed. Those are your two views. So in other words, yes and no, right? Does God want them all healed? Yep. Does God want them all healed? Nope. All right. What are we going to do with that? Let's start with the yes concept. Let's say God wants everyone healed. What does that mean? Here we go. Here's the argument. Every victory was bought on the cross by Jesus Christ, including healing. Why? Because in, in Isaiah 53, it says, he was despised and rejected by men, talking of Jesus, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And you go, well, okay, pastor, real quick. Let me just blow this one out of the water. We all know exactly what that means. Because what it means is, is that by the wounds of our sin, that which separated us from God, we have been healed. We all know that. We got taught that in Bible study. Okay? Here's the problem with that. That's not how Matthew saw it. Matthew 8, 16 through 17 says this, that evening they brought to Jesus many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. You go, okay. Verse 17 this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. In other words, Matthew said Isaiah 53 was also talking about healing today. Interesting. Is that how you read it? Oh, well, really, it doesn't matter really what you read. It matters what Matthew saw. So Matthew said, actually, I think that healing was bought on the cross. That's kind of how it works. So in other words, 
The yes argument is that the desire of God is that all his kids are healed and every situation of healing needs to be walked into with that mindset, right? Is it just that verse? It is not. Here we go. Here's the second argument. Jesus healed all of those brought to him and he didn't turn any away that asked him and he won't turn you away today. Number three, we are the ambassadors of the kingdom and we have the Holy Spirit. So wherever believers are, the Holy Spirit is, therefore the kingdom of God is present in fullness. How do we know that? Luke 9, 1 and 2, because he gave the 12 the power to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Argument next, the world is being restored. Now, not everyone who believes that everyone should be healed believes in the restoration theology. Restoration theology means this. The world's getting better, not worse. Okay? Restoration theology is a concept that takes Jesus' parables where he says, the kingdom of God is like a little baby seed, and when it was planted, it became bigger and bigger and bigger. We look at the principle of Daniel where he saw that little, that rock that was not hewn out of hands and then it went and struck at the bottom and it became so big it filled up the entire world. It talks about the parable of Jesus that says the kingdom of God is like a little bit of leaven that a woman used and it got worked throughout the entire batch. The, the argument there is that things are increasingly being consumed by the power of the Holy Spirit, that when Jesus came in and inaugurated his kingdom, it is now taking over more and more territory. The gates of hell will not prevail. Therefore, the keys of the kingdom have been given to the church, and they will continue to march out and cause more victory, more victory, more victory, until ultimately they usher in Jesus Christ who comes here in body and begins to reign. All right? Now, if that's not your view, all right, I'm just pointing out that's one of the main views for why you can understand why healing should happen to everyone. Why? Because it's a matter of taking over territory. It's saying, you're sick now, Jesus is going to make it different, right? That's the argument. Next argument. We are the problem, not God. God is doing everything for healing. The lack of healing is not on him. It is on us. We're the ones who are not believing properly, healing properly, praying properly, submitting properly, grabbing a hold of the kingdom, on and on and on. Quit throwing it back on God. Oh, well, God doesn't want me to be healed. Well, maybe you're not doing it right. Hmm. Next one, God is good all the time. God won't endure suffering, didn't desire the pain to his creation or his children. God's not the originator of sin or disease. It stands against him, therefore it needs to be removed. And you go, what about all the suffering that's mentioned in Scripture? All the suffering in the New Testament is reference to persecution, not disease. If you do a word study on suffering, you're going to find that it is constantly coming up as persecution. We suffer with those who suffer. We rejoice with those who rejoice. That's actually persecution. When it says, I don't consider the present sufferings worth the glory to come, that's actually persecution. It's not disease and sickness. That is to be eradicated. All right. Y'all got it? So next time somebody comes up and says, I believe that all people are to be healed, so they go in and they pray, you don't just blow them out of the water and say, you don't know what you're talking about. As a matter of fact, they may well have done more study than you have. Now, do I believe that view? I do not. But do you understand that it's a very powerful argument? It is a biblical argument. It's not just made up out of nowhere. Let me share with you the other view, and we will move on with our time. Okay? You all with me? Good. Everybody asleep? No, okay, praise God. Here we go. 
The other view is yes and no, all right? It's God's heart for his kids to be protected and restored, but they put themselves in a dangerous situation through rebellion and sin, and God is in the process of rescuing them out of it. But it's not all done here in this world or complete removal of ramifications of sin until the return of Jesus. Why? Because I believe that God uses healing and suffering in our lives. His healing is real and powerful, and he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Why do I think so? Because I don't think this story of our universe is really about us. I think it's about God. We keep putting ourselves into the center of the story, and it's not. It's about God. What works with his plan takes precedence over what's good for us. How do I know that? Martyrdom. Martyrdom's a huge theme in the New Testament. If it was really about us, martyrdom is a tragedy. If it's really about God, martyrdom is a victory. Y'all following me? So in other words, the story doesn't go back to going, do you feel good? The question is, does God get the glory? That's actually a flip if, you, if you're watching. All right, so let me give you some examples of people suffering to bring glory to God. The most famous one is who? Job. Remember, it was not good for Job. As a matter of fact, Job lost all of his kids. You go, well, he got more. That doesn't help, right? Are we all tracking? That's a tragedy. And it said, quote, his suffering was very great. All right. In the New Testament, Jesus comes up and there's a man born blind. He's over 40 years old. And he said, they go, who sinned, this guy or his parents? He said, nobody, just that the works of God might be displayed in him. Well, that's awesome. The problem is he's been blind for 40 years. It was pretty cool now, but it wasn't cool for the first four decades, right? What about Lazarus' death and resurrection? Jesus let him die. John 11, four through five, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. Right? You go, well, dang, that's a tough road to walk. But what's fascinating is what's the next verse? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He wanted to be very clear that allowing his buddy to die in no way meant he didn't love him. It's right there together. Here's my argument. Glory makes the call. Whatever will bring God more glory will be the decision he will go with unless his compassion or the situation dictates otherwise. Sometimes we are healed. Sometimes we are not because healing isn't always best. I know we like the removal of all that is uncomfortable, but that's not always best. A good father knows the difference and we need to trust him. The cross was primarily to deal with sin and spiritual ramifications, not all physical consequences of sin. Yes, the cross broke the power of the enemy. It says Jesus triumphed over them in the cross. So the enemy is not allowed to hold you down if Jesus says no. We do have the keys to the kingdom. We do have power. It says Jesus has bound the strong men so his children can plunder his house. We do have victory. His kids get to pillage the kingdom of hell. The gates will not prevail. When it comes to the kingdom expanding, I believe that the Bible says that in due time, the harvest is full and he does a reaping, but not all of it is the harvest. In other words, the kingdom expands to its design borders and then it shuts down. The world isn't going to get ever better, but increasingly worse until the return of Jesus Christ who will reap and get things right. I believe that we have a partial kingdom, a kingdom of now but not yet. 
We are the ambassadors and represent the kingdom, but the full expression is in the new heavens and new earth. The earth is still groaning for the full realization of God on the throne and restoration of this world. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 9, it says, we long for our heavenly dwelling. At home in this body, we are away from the Lord. Romans 8, 18 through 25, it says, we suffer now, but we wait with patience for the glory that will be revealed in us, the redemption of our bodies. So I believe that there's more to come. God's goodness isn't altered by our sin. The ramifications of our sin and suffering that has ensued does not change God's goodness. A lack of healing does not say that God's not good. What God wants is different than what God allows. Just as God wants all people to be saved, but they aren't, so too does God want all of his kids healed, but they aren't. It's not a problem with God's intention, motive, or heart. It's a situation of the system that he set up. I want to be very clear. Our God is compassionate and sweet. He wants his children ministered to. The only way he would say no is if it was better. I need you to be very clear on that. I know you don't believe that, but it's true. He wept at Lazarus' tomb, knowing in about five seconds he was going to turn all that over and nobody was even going to remember it anymore. Why did he cry? Because he feels the pain of his children. I just need you to know that. Most of the suffering in the Bible is persecution, y'all. Not all. But the vast majority is. So when you start grabbing suffering and everything, a lot of that, we're not looking at it right. It's actually persecution, but not all of it. And last argument there, Jesus did not heal everyone he engaged with. I know that's a very, very common argument today, but I'm going to disagree with you. Why? Here we go, Luke 5, 15 through 16. After healing a man of leprosy, it says, but now even more, the report went out about Jesus abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He walked away from a whole bunch of people that wanted to get healed. You're going to find out there was a bunch waiting for him at Peter's house in another story, and he moves on and says, there's other people i got to minister to. That's not the only thing I do. I'm not a one-trick pony. Selective healing. Here you go. The woman bleeding for 12 years. Y'all remember that story? She presses her way through, makes everybody unclean. We've all heard this story. She touches the hem of his garment, and she's healed. Here's the funny thing about that story. Jesus said, who touched me? What did the disciples say? What do you mean, who touched you, dude? We're in a mob. What does that mean? Everyone was touching him. You're telling me that no one else needed healing, just one woman? None of them were healed, but just one woman. That's a big deal. Another story. Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, walks over every other sick person because it says there was a crowd there and picks one guy who had been an invalid for 38 years and says, you need to get up and go. And then he runs and hides before everyone finds out about it. Hmm. Paul's thorn in the flesh. Well, that wasn't to Jesus. Oh, you haven't read that? Three times I pleaded with the Lord that it would go away. Who did he talk to? Jesus. What did Jesus say? No. Second hmm. Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 says the exact same thing. All right, so here's the deal. I think there's a grand plan of God and his grand plan goes like this. Hey, kids, when you're with me and you do what I say, 
I have so much blessing for you. When you reject me, bad stuff happens. I need you to know that. And I think in the Garden of Eden, he made that very clear. Hey, you guys, you're in the most awesome, beautiful place ever. You want to know my will for you? It's called the Garden of Eden. Super awesome. I got one rule. Choose me. Don't touch that tree. What happens if I touch a tree? What happens if I touch the tree, right? It's like, don't touch the tree. Why? Because I needed to give you an opportunity to choose me. So I had to give you another opportunity, right? So I put the tree in there. You got to walk by it all the time and always choose me. All right. They didn't choose him. What happened? Our whole world became very dangerous very quickly. We live in a very bad, broken world. Do you understand the bigger plan of God is to reveal to his people, you want me. Apart from me, not only can you do nothing, but it all leads to death. So until he wraps this up, this world is still telling the first story. Choose God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You all tracking with me? So in other words, I think there's a bigger thing at play And so far, up till now, the death rate for saints is 100%. Okay, well, technically, 99.99999. Why? Because we got Enoch and we have Elijah, right? So there's a couple people that got sweeped off, but everyone else died. That means at some point, something didn't go right. And I bet you at some point, people prayed for them. And in every time, the answer was no, and they left. So... God's will makes the difference. You and I assume we know what needs to be healed. Do we really? I don't think you do. I don't think I do. The kingdom of now but not yet. We are representatives of the kingdom. We're supposed to be going out there and doing miracles that are godly. I believe that we are supposed to be representatives that if somebody is hurting out in the community, they can come to us and say, what does your Jesus say about this rash right here? tell you what my Jesus says about that rash. It says it needs to go away. Why? Because I'm awesome? No, because he loves you. You understand? So I believe very strongly that he said to the 72, go out wherever you go and proclaim the kingdom is here, right here, right now. So I'm going to keep pushing you. We are ambassadors for the kingdom. We should be going out and doing a whole bunch of stuff, but is it always going to go the way you want it? No, it is not. I don't think it does. Jesus said, if they all said, well, you're casting out demons by demons. He said, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons and the kingdom of God has come upon you. I believe that we are here to show the whole world what it means to have Jesus in their midst. Amen? Amen? Amen. I think that's a big deal. All right. So it's all about glory. It's all about him. So healing, suffering, what brings God glory most? I think that is so critical. So let's put suffering in perspective. Both are valuable. I'm not saying that suffering is more important than healing. I'm not saying healing is more important than suffering. But I do know this. God allows suffering. How do I know that? Because on the cross, he didn't let Jesus get away from it. We think if God has the power that he will fix it, but the cross shows he will not. Well, he had to die. God could have done a different system. You guys, he didn't. Is all discomfort to be relieved? Here's the interesting thing. Most of our prayer requests have to do with removing discomfort. God, my knee is messed up. Okay, what are you going to do? I need it gone. Why? Because I love to run. Well, I appreciate that. However, there are bigger things than you running. 
well, but I think that if you're a good dad, you'll do that. Hold on. Here's the interesting thing. Jesus was tempted in the desert. Do you remember what he did? The first temptation was what? Turn stones into bread. Why did he want to turn them into bread? Because he was hungry. Okay, so he was super hungry. In other words, what was the temptation? God wants discomfort. You should go around him and get comfort. That was the temptation. So what was the point? Don't. You need, if God put it there, I need you to walk with it. Why? Do you understand that fasting is chosen suffering? That's what fasting is. My life's not hard enough. How do I make it harder? You fast. Awesome. <laughs> Why would we fast? Because we're trying to train our flesh. Fasting's not for God, it's for you. It's for me. We're trying to train our flesh. All right, let's move forward. Are we trying to avoid things as opposed to being reformed through them? Think back through your life at the times when all things were good and what you learned. Versus, think back through your times when they were difficult. What'd you learn? Totally different. All right. It's very important that we need to be clear that not... Sometimes what happens to us in our lives is consequence for sin. Sometimes it's got nothing to do with it. Are we all clear on that? Sometimes it has to do with it. There's a time when Jesus healed the invalid guy. Do you remember that? And he came and found him later. What a creepy sentence. He said to him, hey, glad you got healed. Cool. Hey, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. You remember that? Yee, right? Something worse is going to happen. Dude, I've been paralyzed for 38 years. What do you mean worse? Why would Jesus say that? Because it depends on why he got there. Here's the deal. If you go around and you are having sex with everything that moves, and you get an STD, and the Lord heals you out of his compassion, he's probably going to whisper to you and go, that's not a good decision, because we're going to end up and we're going to get something else, okay? And you go, well, I don't understand how that works. It's pretty easy. Uh, if you have a billiard ball, you all know what a bil billiard ball where you play pool and stuff like that? Put it on a tilted surface. What happens? Rolls off. What happens if you reset it? What happens? Rolls off. What do you really need to do? Flatten out the surface. Okay, in other words, we tend to get healed of something but think that now everything's cool. If you're continuing to spiral down a hell-bent path and you get healed of something, the ball's still going to roll off. The whole thing is tilted. We got to get that more steady. Did God heal you? Yes. Then why in the world are more things happening? Because you're tilted. All right, we'll get into that in a second. Here we go. Sometimes it's just a dangerous world. Luke 13, 1 through 5, Jesus said, do you really think these people that died are all sinners? That's why they died? No. They're just people. Quit attaching everything to sin. Sometimes bad stuff happens to good people, and it's not their fault. And I'm walking through it with them. Did sin create all this damage? Yeah. But is it their personal sin? No. It's got nothing to do with them. So please go easy on each other. That's not right. And y'all, there are benefits to suffering, just real quick. Paul's thorn in the flesh. Why did Jesus say no to him? Because he said, my grace is sufficient. And man, after everything you've seen and you're going to see and the miracles you do, we need something to keep you in check, brother, because you're going to be a monster. Now, this is where a lot of ministries about healing turn off the video. Because they're like, man, Pastor Lance, he's just killing everybody's faith. 
He's only talking about that stuff. He's like, suffering, ooh, suffering's awesome. You know what? I want to be on victory. Okay, they're probably right in that regard. Here's my problem. I want us to be balanced and understand. I'm not here to destroy your faith. I'm not here to do that. I'm here to tell you the truth. And I believe that the truth is, is that we have a really, really good God. And sometimes our really, really good dad has to tell you no. Because he's smarter than us. But an awful lot of times he says yes. You ready? Eight reasons why God heals in the Bible. Eight reasons why God heals in the Bible. Let's get moving. Number one, compassion. Number one, compassion. It's why he touched the leper, why he raised the widow's son. It's why he ministered to the 5,000. Compassion. Number two, advancement of ministry. Advancement of ministry. When he heals, it sets him up for a message. Number three, freed up to serve. He raised up Peter's mother-in-law with her fever so she could go serve. He raised Paul from a stoning so he could go and serve. Sometimes he just heals us to free us up to serve. Number four, validation and authentication of ministry message or minister. In other words, is that person legit? Boom, God moves and says, yep, let's do this. All right? 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 5, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Love that. Is that Bridgeway? Should be. Number five, glory to God. Glory to God. Number six, simply because he was asked. Why does does God heal sometimes? Because you asked. That's awesome. Number seven, practicality practicality. What do I mean? Uh, Why does healing happen a lot in the mission field and not so much here? Because we're spoiled with options and they have none. And you don't want to go through your HMO. You want God to heal you. They don't have an HMO. Y'all tracking with me? So I know it's less convenient to go through modern medicine, but sometimes that's what God wants. All right, number eight, to bring awe of the power of God There are times when he just does a miracle just to shock everybody's system. How do we know that? Especially when he raises dead people to life. That's super creepy, right? They're like, oh, do I have to give him back his weed eater? Right? (laughs) Shoot, I thought I (laughs) had that in my garage. Anyway, (laughs) there are five significant mentions uh, in Scripture where Jesus healed everyone. Just want you to know that. But let me just share this. There are also people in the Bible that were not healed. So, for example, Tabitha Dorcas got raised from the dead, and you go, man, that's so awesome. Do you remember the story? She died in order to get dead. And they were like, oh, she's super sweet and nice. Please raise her back from the dead. Well, that super sweet, nice person still died. We just need to remember that. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.20, I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Paul, you have the gift of healing, dude. Why did you leave a guy sick? Because just having the gift doesn't mean you can do it all the time. Uh, We already talked about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Epaphroditus. He said he almost died from an illness, and I was super scared, but God spared us. Why didn't Paul just heal him? Because that's not how it works. So here we go. Seven basic reasons why God may not heal. Seven basic reasons why God may not heal. Number one, not the right timing to heal. Not the right timing. Here's the deal. You will never pray the same prayer twice. Here's how I want you to pray. How about now, Lord? How about now? How about now? 
How about now? How about now? How about now? That's how I want you to pray, because that's what Jesus told us to do. When you pray and you go, dude, I already prayed about my knee. Yeah, did you pray right now? Well, no, I already prayed that prayer. No, you didn't. Everything changed. He just moved the whole universe. Try again. What about now? Nope, not same prayer. Let's do it again. Well, I've prayed. Like, I've had people pray for me like for 40 years. And okay, how about now? How about now? How about now? How about now? Every time, it's going to be a different prayer. I want us to pray with confidence that if the timing adjusts, God goes, click, you're in. Let's go. You come in strong. I think there's times when he is moving with healing. I think there's times when there's anointed locations and areas. Why? Because it talks about, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal, Luke 5, 17 through 18. Sometimes God's rolling and you got to jump in there, but it's the right timing. Number two, it would be unhealthy for you to be healed. Why wouldn't God heal you? It would be unhealthy for you. Do you all know the story of Hezekiah? Hezekiah, you're going to die. Dude, I don't want to die. All right, what do you want? I want 15 more years to live. All right? Uh, what do you want me to do? Well, get, you got to give me like some type of miracle. All right, I'll move the sun back. Okay, cool. Do you guys remember what he did with his 15 years? The next story in the Bible is he ends up inviting the enemy to come check out their kingdom, and the enemy wipes them all out. Awesome. They would have been fine if he would have just died on time. <laughs> what if your state is a purposeful state? What if God put you in there? Well, you know what? I'm limited. I'm handicapped. Are you? Because God's not. Johnny Erickson Tata has done far more than we will ever do. She was never limited. The cost of healing, you may not understand what your healing is going to cost you because in the Bible, when people got healed, there was tremendous persecution. People got kicked out of the church. They had all kinds of problems. You don't even realize that. The other thing is that you will no longer get any support. I don't know if you're ready for that. The beggars, the blind people, the lame ones, the minute they got healed, they had no skills and they were immediately in the job world and they had no one to support them. That's a whole new problem. You thought your life was hard before? Try getting healed. It's worse. Number three, God won't heal you if it's going to violate God's bigger picture, right? God struck Saul blind on the road to Damascus. God doesn't ever hurt anybody. Really? God struck Saul blind on the road to Damascus. Why? Because there was a bigger picture in play. What's the bigger picture? I need you to get healed by Ananias. So I'm not going to heal you until Ananias shows up. Number four, why doesn't God heal? Because we don't ask or we ask with the wrong motives. Philippians 4, 5 through 7, James 4, 2 through 3. Number five, the church doesn't know what it's doing. The church doesn't know what it's doing. Why wouldn't God heal? Because we're lame. Sometimes we've got to pray through breakthroughs. Sometimes we've got to learn how to utilize the gifts that God's given us, and sometimes we just don't do them. And you're still hurting because we're not doing our job. All right, number six, why wouldn't God heal? when God's not going to receive any glory. It's called the Nazareth syndrome. Why in the world would he heal if no one's going to recognize it's him? That's no good. Number seven, last. Why wouldn't God heal? When he has another beautiful way to bless you. When he has another beautiful way to bless you. For example, he may want to work through modern medicine, Eastern medicine, Western medicine. Eastern medicine, that's heresy, pastor. Hold up. Y'all remember that Luke is a physician, yeah? Was he Western? All right, he's Eastern. All right, cool. Let's move on. Here's what no from God must not mean. 
that he doesn't love you. Your heavenly father loves you full. And he's never going to stop loving you. The only reason he would do anything different is because it would be best for you. You guys, it doesn't matter how difficult the situation is, God can heal it. We need to be very, very careful in our methods, but the Bible is pretty clear that he doesn't talk a lot about methods. So we're kind of guessing on a lot of this stuff. Some of us heal a certain way because it's the only way we learned. What if we learned wrong? I don't know. We're learning, right? All I know is that the Bible says that we are healing in the name of Jesus Christ. may not be how you want it, right? You may be Naaman who said, I just wanted him to wave his hand over me, and he may be getting this nasty river, right? You may go, hey, pastor, can you heal me? Well, what's wrong with you? I have a speech impediment. Oh, sweet, come here. <laughs> okay, you remember that? Hey, I'm good. I'm, I, I have no problem stuttering. Got an eye problem? I have some mud right over here. I got, right? Here, let, me, let me finish. I'm just going to finish with this because we got to go on, right? Uh, faith matters, okay? Oh, shoot, now he just turned the corner. You don't have enough faith to be healed. Oh, is that what's coming? No. No, faith matters. Why? Because faith is a trust in a person, and God never wants his stuff to be separated from him. Faith matters. Well, what kind of faith? Like, am I supposed to hang on, and like, if I get healed, do I have to contend for it, because then it's going to go away, and I'm like, oh, I'm hanging on really tight, and I don't like that. I don't know. You probably need to contend for your healing depending on what happened to you to get you there. If really your body is wrecked because you've been bitter and angry with the Lord and he heals you and you're still bitter and angry with the Lord, it's not going to stay. The Bible tells us that God does partial healings. God does multi-step healings. God does temporary healings. God does delayed healings. It's all in Scripture. But faith matters. What kind of faith? Let me, last story. Y'all remember the bronze serpent story? That's the kind of faith God wants. He wants you to look at him because he's the one that heals. Don't look anywhere else. Look at him. What's the bronze serpent story? People were grumbling, complaining against God, and little fiery snakes were coming and biting them and killing them. And Moses said, Lord, what do I do? And he said, make a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole. Anyone that looks at it will be healed. What does that require? A surrender. Okay? Here's the people that I have seen have the most breakthrough. Soft, expectant hearts. Desperation and not arrogance, expectation and not skeptical, humble, not bitter, and surrendered, not entitled. You guys, it's got to be all about him, and whatever he says is right. Our God is powerful, but he is wise. Our God is good, but he's also practical. Thank you so much for being here and hearing my teaching.